Hi, I'm Kimmy, and you're listening to Power in Practice. Hi, I'm Tatsume, and you're listening to Power in Practice. Hey, everybody. This episode of Power in Practice is a discussion between Kimiko Tatsumi and Soul Hunter, recorded over Skype, um, talking about dog training and various training topics and how they may or may not relate to the training of humans. This is a really informal podcast, and one of the things I want you to pay attention to is that Kimiko and Tatsumi are my property, but especially as you listen to this conversation, you'll realize that we don't all necessarily have the same opinions in detail about all this stuff, and that that's, that's not a problem. You know, you can talk about these sort of things with your property. You can talk about these sort of things with your owner, um, circumstances and rules permitting, and that it's, it's okay. You know, I, I learn all sorts of stuff from talking to these girls about this sort of thing um, that's different from what I get from Flag and Daddy David uh, when we talk about these things. And we're going to be doing a podcast on training, um, hopefully one with all of us together, and then sort of maybe a, a, a slightly more um, top or male perspective with, with Flag and David. Anyway, so I hope you find the conversation interesting. And, um, you know, definitely take everything from all the, all the people that we're going to be presenting on the podcast. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. Thanks a lot. Don't forget to check us out on the web at powerinpractice.com. Hi, everybody. You're listening to Power in Practice. I'm here with Kamiko. Say hi, Kamiko. Hi. And Tatsumi. Say hi, Tatsumi. Hello. And we're here to discuss the topic of dog training and how maybe some of those principles might or might not be applicable to the kind of training we usually discuss here on Power and Practice. This actually came around because Tatsumi made um, sort of an offhanded comment during a conversation about the time she had spent when she had a dog trainer come over to her house to help her with training her two dogs. So why don't you tell us about that a little bit, Tats? Sure. Uh, I have two golden retrievers, and they're litter mates. So as puppies, they were very rambunctious, and we brought in a professional dog trainer to work with us on more how to train us on what dog psychology is and what the best practices would be to work with the dogs. And through that time, uh, I found a lot of dog training can be applied to BDSM and people training. Um, but the most important question I think you need to ask is, um, why do you want to train your animal? And be that a, a human or your dog? Okay, and since you were were working on training your dogs at the time, want to answer that question? Why were you training your two dogs? Sure, my two dogs. Um, the most important command that I feel they learn is "come," uh, not in a sexy orgasm kind of way. Um, specifically, in a return <laughs> to me kind of way. That's an entirely different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, the come command is extremely important for me because if my dogs are going to um, ever be let off a leash, I want, the, I want to trust my ability to 
get their attention and have them recall to me so they don't get hit by a car or knock over a child or um, do damage in, in any way. So the most important command for me was come and the reason I wanted to have the dogs trained is so that way I wasn't constantly yelling at them for disappointing me. Okay, so there were like there are two things in there that, that I'll ask you about. The first one is, I, I mean, we could sort of abstract it out and say that by giving the, by understanding that you could reestablish firm control anytime you needed to with the, the command to return to you, then would you say that that allowed you to be more flexible in sort of how much freedom you allowed the dogs? Because you knew that, you know, if you needed to, you could always pretty much just just reassert control instantly and protect them from harm. Or, you know, in a in a human relationship, maybe harm isn't really the thing that's at stake there, but but definitely that you could give someone a little more flexibility, maybe relax your protocols a little bit, because if things get out of hand, you know you can reassert control basically instantly. Is that accurate, or, or do you think that makes sense? Hmm. Uh, I I see where you're going with that, and I would say with a human, for me, the most important command would be drop. To be able to put somebody into a headspace quickly and get them to follow a physical command uh, simply by the sound of my voice would be the most important command I could think of. Um, another one might be freeze. Okay, now for, for your dogs, that, mm-hmm. that was, you, you mentioned that that was for their protection, right? So they didn't run out into the street or whatever. Um, what, what makes you think that, or for what reasons is that the most important set of commands for you that you could build into a human? Hmm. It I would, would think, also, go ahead. I would think freeze would be uh, along the same lines as for protection of your dog, because that way if there's, some, if you're, you know, getting ready to cross the street and you say freeze, they don't go out into the street. If you've got a knife and you say freeze, they don't move and, you know, you can do what you want with the knife. I mean, it, it applies to all sorts of situations. Well, and I would think not only physical situations. Anytime a dominant's going to exert control in an overt manner, which would be barking of a command, it's going to affect headspace. Uh, something something uh, as simple as freeze, you can say it in a grocery store. Uh, If your girl, because that's the kind of relationship I'm in, if your girl is in the grocery store and you see her reaching for a gallon of milk and it's 1%, not 2%, you can bark freeze, walk over there and correct her, and it's one little way that you can bring BDSM into your normal life, aside from just yelling from two hours away, don't forget to get the 2%. <laughs> I think that's a, a good a good example. Okay, so you're thinking of it more in a, in a positive way, like what what a command like that can do to reinforce your relationship as opposed to like with the dogs where it's mostly to prevent something bad from happening. Well, it's, it's also a positive thing with the dogs. 
uh, having them know that I care enough about them to work on this training to get the the come command down so that way no matter what they're doing, what they're distracted by, they hear that word, they turn around and return to me immediately. It's very secure feeling for them. So it's for their benefit and it's a positive motivator as well as just keeping them from doing harm to themselves or causing harm to others. Now would and we'll we'll move away from the come command in a second, but would you say that because I haven't really paid attention when you were with the dogs. So do you use that command to bring them to you for positive reasons as well? Like, you know, come to me because, you know, you know you have time to, to play with them or, or come to you for a treat? Um, or do you use a different command to get them to come to you for positive things? I only ever call them to me for positive. If I'm going to try and reprimand, come is not the word I use. They should only ever associate that word with, oh, if I go to her, then very good things happen. So if there was a car in the middle of the street and they happen to be walking in that direction and I holler, come, I have to have a cookie in my pocket. Um, it doesn't always have to be a food treat, sometimes a pet on the head or their favorite tennis ball uh, or just a good game will be reward enough. But whatever the reward is, it has to be instant and it has to be tied to the fact that they return to me upon hearing that command. Okay, so especially because that's an active command as opposed to a, a you know, a, as stop and come are different, right? Come is to go do something and stop is to stop what you're doing. And it's a little bit harder to usually get animals to understand um, the idea of stop. I mean, it, you know with, with sit that that's one of the, you know, like that's just one of the harder ones around. They want to do stuff. Yes. Uh, it's, it's easier to teach, well, it's easier to teach people to, to do things as opposed to just not Stop. do something. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's why the sit command is one of the most basic commands. You're taking a behavior that the animal already has, and they're naturally going to sit down, and just naming it, and then rewarding them for doing it on command. The other way you could handle that, you know, there's a child in the yard, and you don't want the 85-pound retriever to knock over the child, is to holler sit. It's not always going to work uh, because there are a lot of times you tell the dog to sit and don't reward them. And there are a lot of times when the dog sits without you asking. So it's not quite a, it's not my most important command. It's not the one I work on. Well, actually that's, that's a, a really good point. Um, that idea that it might be, it might be harder to associate um, it might be harder to associate the, the concept of command or reward or punishment to something that, you know, sort of naturally occurs outside of the framework of training constantly. You know, mm -hmm. the dog sat before they met you, they're going to sit whether you're there or not, whether there's a treat or not. Mm -hmm. They're just going to do it. Mm -hmm. So necessarily for every time they sit down 
and get a dog treat, there are, you know, a hundred times when they sit down and you're nowhere near them. Yes. So it, it would be a very hard thing to actually enforce strongly. Whereas come to me, obviously you're always there. Right. Um, okay. I can see that. And the, uh, the other, what was that second one you mentioned? I suppose I could go through and pull the audio, but we'll let it go. <laughs> okay, so um, we, were, we, were, the, we were talking about most important commands, right? Right. Uh, the, the other thing we had mentioned was why do you even train dogs? Right. What is your motivation? I, there are a lot of people who, um, especially with the smaller breeds, say, can I just play with my dog? You know, I don't want to deal with all of this training nonsense. If my dog gets out of hand, I'll just pick them up. And that's somewhat acceptable if your dog is under 10 pounds. But even if your dog is a purse dog, uh, not training your animal leads to all kinds of disappointment and uh, unsuredness, I'm not sure that's a word, um, insecurity on the part of the dog and the owner. If you're not in charge, then the dog is going to try and assert control. They're very much pack animals, and they need someone to be in control. Ideally, that'll be the human, and one of the ways you display control is by training. So uh, you're, what you're kind of saying is that aside from the practical benefits of you know having a dog who can you know, do tricks or not knock over the neighbors or, you know, come on command and, and whatever, that there's what you would say is a relationship benefit from training as a process in and of itself. Absolutely. And also upkeep. I mean, not just the initial training when somebody gets a puppy. There's there's also the reinforcement um, now, I'm not saying, you know, you have to spend like three hours a day training your animals or your people for that matter. An initial training period followed up by some consistent reinforcers are, are all you really need. And it can be a lot of fun. You can make training enjoyable for both you and your animal or person for that matter. <laughs> and I remember from from the, the conversation we kind of had about this um, before we were, were putting it on a podcast, you know, one of the things we talked about was kind of the idea of consistency in training. Um, there was the stuff that your trainer, uh, I guess the person who taught you or worked with you on training your dogs, had said about, you know, blocking off work time and not confusing that with play time, that going out and playing with your dogs at the park is different than taking your dogs out to work on their training. Um, is that, do I, am I remembering true. that right? Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, for dogs, especially young dogs, um, dogs under about one years old, you only want to work with them, which is what I'm referring to as training, work with them for about 15 minutes at a time. Anything more than that, and you their attention spans just gone. Uh, but you can play with them for hours. And the way that you can bring your training into your play without confusing the two is to be consistent. 
So you can throw a tennis ball over and over and over again. Uh, and if you have one of the retrieving type dogs, they will do it for hours. They will just go and get the tennis ball and come back and over and over again. And that's a great opportunity for you to reinforce not jumping at people. Maybe earlier that day, you were standing on your dog's leash while holding a toy it doesn't love but likes above your head and a cookie in your pocket. And every time the dog did not jump for the toy, you gave them the cookie. It's not going to take too long before the dog realizes that what they should do is not jump for the toy and you'll reward them. Now to bring that into your play, it would be cheating on your part if you then held the tennis ball above your head and teased the dog into thinking it was okay to jump for it. Instead, what you want to do is have them sit at your feet, throw the tennis ball, and when they return, you can use the word come as they're coming back to you anyway, give them the cookie, have them sit, and throw the ball. And those will reinforce the come command, the sit command, and whichever other command we were just talking about. <laughs> and the other one, which, yeah. whichever one's not come, sit, and grab that ball. Ah, not jumping. There you go. And not jumping. And not jumping. Gotcha. Okay, well, this is good because um, we're, we're sort of taking a little... We're sort of taking a little different direction. Now, I guess one of the things that, that we had, well, I know one of the things we had talked about as well was this idea of, you know, different people need different things out of out of how they train their dogs. You know, some people are just looking for the basics. You know, don't, don't scratch the furniture. Don't, you know, take a crap in the house. Mm-hmm. Don't jump. Um, come and sit, right, or, or stay. Absolutely. I mean, most, for almost everybody who owns a dog, those are pretty much all they need. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, There's nothing wrong with just doing the basics. It'll keep your dog from getting confused. It'll keep you from being angry at your dog. Uh, And it'll make for a very pleasant companionship relationship. Well, and I think it's, and and to take that to people, I mean, you know, the most, the single most important thing that I think people can do amongst each other just to avoid, you know, things kind of getting really crazy is just either learning when to or teaching someone how to just stop, you know, stop arguing, stop talking, stop doing whatever it is you're doing, you know, stop slamming the doors or, or, or whatever the, whatever that behavior is that's kind of getting on your last nerve. Obviously, in in DS relationships, the ability to modify the other person's behavior by force of will when they're annoying you rests almost entirely with the dominant. Yes. Um, So we're really mostly talking in terms of the dominant to the submissive. But for those doms out there, you know, you can get 90% of the benefit you need um, and and your sub-needs in the relationship by just... Being able to stop things from getting out of control, be it, you know, an argument or a behavior or, you know, a set of behaviors or anything that's 
that kind of rapidly escalating nightmare that happens in so many relationships, the ability to just get all that to stop for a minute so everybody can take a breath and figure out where they're going from there is probably invaluable. Well, and I do believe that's very individual. Um, that is one of the most important things to you in your relationships, but I know for a fact other people um, who who value communication in above everything else would never want to uh, put a halt to a conversation. So for them, their most important command is not going to be freeze or stop or take a breath or however it is you phrase that. And I think it's very important to figure out what your most important command is and only go with two or three. You know, I really want my sub to be able to come on command. Great. Okay, so that's one of the things we'll do. And I really want her to never leave a dish in the sink ever. All right, those are your most important commands, then do the dishes and orgasm are going to be what you focus on. Interesting. I think it's convenient that a lot of the commands are one-word commands because they can be something said among other people, um, that it's, it's quick, concise, to the point and, and generally gets the other person's attention without all of the added extra words where, some, where the sub might be trying to think about what's being said, the context of it's being said, the meaning of it's being said. So I think that the, the one word commands are, are particularly good for me in particular. Kimmy, that's a really great point. Um, you had, Soul Hunter had mentioned earlier the word stop, just stop what you're doing. Stop is going to be a very bad trigger word because we hear it all the time. It's it's the, ooh, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but it's the equivalent of having a safe word because no is a loaded word. People want to be able to say no in scene. So they come up with these alternate words, which some people have dubbed safe words, to actually mean no. You would have to come up with something very similar if what you actually mean is stop. Um, I am a big fan of hand gestures as well. If you give a hand signal, um, it of course it means the sub needs to be looking at you for it to work, but they should be paying attention to you anyway. So having a hand signal and a word like freeze or um, I, I'm not even sure where you could go. You could pick Klingon words. I no, I, I I follow what you're saying, and and you know we we'll have a we'll have to have another. Well, obviously we're going to have a bunch of them, but we will do, we should do another discussion on you know we'll get flag on the line and 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 David maybe, and we can talk about um, those ideas of because there is this idea of a trigger. Mm -hmm. um, you know, stop by itself is a horrible command. Mm -hmm. um, but you can add, you need some significator. And you're talking about a hand gesture or maybe the unfamiliarity of a particular word. 
mm-hmm. um, being the thing that lets people know that they have to pay attention, that, that makes this phrase significant. Yes. Um, tone is, is a perfectly reasonable one for that. That's true. That's very true. So but sometimes if you're in a vanilla situation, like a grocery store, tone isn't always going to be appropriate without drawing attention to yourself. Well, and, and that's true, and, and it is it does give you an idea of, I, I, guess in, I guess that reality gives you an idea of how powerful tone can be. You know, that even the people that don't have any idea what's going on, like that, that's, that word stop isn't like the hundreds of stops they've heard that day. You yes. know, they don't really know why, but there definitely is something to it. You can do it, now an example of unfamiliar words is um, people who reserve a particular motive address for particular situations. You know, we know people who, you know, daddy, daddy, daddy all the time for casual conversation. But if they say, you know, sir, you have to pay attention to that. There's mm-hmm. there's some distress or there's something going on that sort of kick that, that communication into a more uh, deliberate fashion. He could say stop to you as you're heading out the door because he wants you to bring a soda downstairs. Stop. I need you to bring a soda. That's entirely different than the two of you are in the middle of a discussion, and he needs you to just stop. Mm-hmm. And the hand gesture behind it, or the look in his eyes, or the tone of his voice is going to convey what he wants you to do more than the word. Right. I'm with that. Okay. Okay. Let me um, real quick jump into at what point can we cheat? We've done all of this wonderful training with our dog or submissive or goldfish. And at what point can we break our own rules just to have a good time? There are people that don't believe in training. They think that we're all adults here and I should do what I'm told because I promised I would. So I don't need training. Just tell me what it is you want me to do and I'll do it. I don't personally believe that that is fair to all parties in the relationship. I think that is setting yourself up for horrible disappointment uh, and for serious relationship issues later on down the road. Now, is that because you don't think that people are adults or you don't think that that's what adulthood means? Well, yes. <laughs> both. I be- both. All the above. Absolutely. Most people are not what they think an adult people is. people train each other all the time. I, I know that my mother for years has been working on my father to not leave his socks on the floor. It's one of those things, it's a bad habit that he is, she is trying to break in him. That's a form of training. It's not a, I'm going to put you on the floor under my boot if you don't do what I say. But it is, well, then I'm not going to call you when I'm on my way home from work to see if you want me to pick up dinner. It's, there's absolutely negative connotations if you don't do as you're supposed to. And there are positive 
reinforcements if you comply with whatever the order is. That's well, I think, training. I, I think that's a that's a, a good point. You know, without without really trying to to beat to death whatever you know hair splitting definition people might have about the word training, but there's definitely is that idea that you know people tend to think of training as something fundamentally outside the way normal human quote unquote normal human relationships operate. But the reality is people are at least attempting to train their partner all the time. Absolutely. They're just doing it badly. Yes. <laughs> yes. They're you doing know? it badly. Because there are punishments and there are rewards, but they're very rarely clearly tied to the trigger for the punishment of the reward, even usually in the mind of the person who's doing the punishing or the rewarding. Right. They and know there's they're never consistency. Right. They know they're feeling unappreciated. They know they are not happy. They just don't know why any right. of that might be. You know? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I think that's true. So, to some degree, the, the, the more specific type of training we're talking about, far from bringing an alien factor into a relationship, you could kind of look at it from a certain point of view of being simply just making something that's going to be there anyway dramatically more efficient. Um, Absolutely. Just bring it all above board. I mean, people say that they don't like game playing. So eliminate the games. Bring it all above board and all out in the open. This is what I want from you. This is how I'm going to attempt to get it. These are the cookies I'm going to use. These are the punishments I'm going to use. And this is the end goal I need. Reinforce uh, through training and through behavior modification to finally reach your ultimate goal, reduce the amount of cookies, but never eliminate as you get closer and closer to your goal, and be consistent. Then eventually, you can start breaking your own rules. But there's an old um, woodshop uh, reference. For every sanding you go against the grain, you have to go with the grain ten times to make up for it. You can think of cheating the same way. Every time you're inconsistent in your training, you need to make up for that with ten times of consistent, correct, appropriate training. Yeah, I think I think we're you're definitely talking about um you know what I tend to think of as as trend consistency. You know, um I always fall back on for for a number of things in relationships, but this is another good example. You know, I'm always thinking in terms of batteries. You know, mm. it's you know, you're you're training, you're training, you're training and you're sort of building up this credibility. Mm -hmm. Um in that training, you're putting X amount of energy or effort or solidity into it. And you can cheat. But every time you do, that that thing you built up is getting a little weaker. Yeah. So you have to be conscious of the fact that you can't just continue to undermine it. You have to you have to repair the damage you did and and you know, and go on with it. Um, and I'm sure it's and it is that way with animals. You know, it a is. lot of times you know, most of the time you should have a cookie. Mm -hmm. um, at the beginning, you always have to have a cookie. You know, later on, you should have a cookie. And later on, you know, most of the time you, you have to have a cookie. And then, you know, after a while you can, you can, you know, there's all this 
thing about being able to start shifting that a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a cookie is a great thing to get a dog's attention when they're new because they're not so invested in your approval right. that that's enough. You know, later on, the dog will come to you even though maybe only half the time there's a cookie and the other half of the time there's just a lot of praise. Yes. Um, as long as really good things keep happening most of the time when the dog shows up, um, that you, you'll continue to reinforce. Uh, and I think that's true. important. But the first time that dog comes to you and you yell at the dog, you're doing significant damage to your own training. Well, I think that that is one of the one of the issues, you know, the, uh, and it's a whole other topic about, you know, positive and negative reinforcements. And I mm-hmm. think some of the differences in which rules are which have to do with that. You know, there's there's definitely this idea that um, some commands are going to lead to negative consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, bring me that belt. <laughs> you know, well, that 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 I old you know. Bring me a belt so I can hit you with things. The only reason people will follow that order is because not because there's a reward for following the order. There isn't. It's that the negative consequence of disobedience are dramatically higher yes. than the negative consequence of following it. Now, there's... That's much different in people than it is in animals, obviously. Well, animals don't, don't really think that far ahead. Right. Know? Right, so bringing this to people, you can get a person to do, to do, to follow a negative order, just as you explained. Uh, and there, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But there is, I'm sorry, I, I'm just, because yeah. I'm thinking it through. And But there is, you know, most people do negatively train animals fairly frequently, too. They just don't even think of it that way. Oh, uh, don't get me started. Well, I'm not even <laughs> talking about in a bad way. I'm talking about something I've done in your presence a couple hundred times and neither of us really think about it because it's not a bad, a really bad thing, but there's almost no positive method to teach a dog not to pull on a leash. You can say sit and they'll stop pulling and you reward them for sitting, but that didn't teach them that, that they shouldn't be pulling. It just taught them that they sit and they get rewarded, you know? So, you know, you're looking at, at things like, um, you know, just slip collars. You know, well, you're looking at, at, at things like when dogs start pulling, they go home early. And, you know? and I, I don't disagree with you, um, but I don't quite agree with you. There are ways to teach animals not to pull. Um, they're just much more difficult and arduous than negative reinforcement. There, there are positive training techniques that you can use if you're really afraid or against negative training techniques with animals. They are not quite as effective, and they take a lot longer, but they are there. Um, and you can do it with people as well, but negative training works it works very, very well, and it will override your positive training in a heartbeat. Well, and 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 you're and exactly right. And that was kind of that was kind of maybe what I was thinking of that idea that you know the dog coming to you and not having a and, and you not having a cookie is sort of a neutral event. It's eroding their confidence that there's a reward, mm. but it's not actually bringing with it a negative. 
Correct. But when you use cum and the dog comes and you punish the dog or yell at the dog or you are clearly angry at the dog, that one negative, that one instance of negative reinforcement demonstrates the, how much dramatically more powerful for good or ill on occasion it can be mm-hmm. because that will undo hundreds of cookies. Yes. Their fear of getting yelled at is dramatically higher than their passion for the cookie, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so to bring all that, so to bring that back to people, um, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of for people that don't like the idea of negative reinforcement at all, especially in people, because mm-hmm. people are, are a little more complicated than dogs. The nice thing about positive and negative reinforcement is that they're logical opposites. You can generally construct a way to teach somebody something with positive reinforcement. Um, it's kind of like if you can't make a left-hand turn, you can just make a couple of rights and you sort of get there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, three. But you can do that. You can... You can think of a way to reward someone for doing something if you don't want to punish them for not doing it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and vice versa. So we were talking about this idea that most people with their animals need only a few really basic commands um, and that probably in most relationships, just a few basic commands are, are, are probably all people are trying to establish even when they don't know that they're deliberately trying to establish them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Absolutely. they're just trying to lay down some basic rules to make the relationship a little more um, predictable or palpable or, or pleasant, mm-hmm. um, however you want to put that. Now let's, let's, let's jump a second. So then there are, there are dogs that, that have dram- dramatically more complicated jobs. You know, we, we talked about seeing eye dogs. We talked about, um, you know, any There's kind of service working dogs. Dog. Um, yeah, service yeah. dogs and working dogs. There are dogs that pull sleds. There are dogs that find corpses, bond-sniffing dogs. Right. And and that these are these are dogs. And what I'm trying to get at specifically is that there are times when there are behaviors that are allowed or even expected of those dogs that are absolutely not allowed or expected of them at other times. And that that initially seems to fly in the face of consistency. But significators help. You know, a bomb-sniffing dog is encouraged under some circumstances to sniff the crotch of strangers. You know, sometimes you're allowed to just nose on in there. (laughs) But obviously that that police dog can't do that at the station house. Right. Right. And, and that is, um, one of those instances when, a hand signal is not enough to go with the command. You would need something a little more tangible. Uh, and for those dogs, it's usually a uniform, their uniform, um, guiding guide dogs wear a special harness. So that way the person they're working for can be led around by them. Whenever they're wearing that harness, they are working. Um, Bomb-sniffing dogs also wear a special collar when they're working. And they usually work with a specific partner. And when they are on call, they are allowed to do things and not allowed to do things 
as opposed to when they are free. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I think you're dead on. And I, I you know, I don't want to, I don't think we really are going to go really deeply into that um, in this cast. But I just, I wanted to bring the topic up because it was one of the things that had sort of mm. got us started on the discussion. Um, well, and there's a very clear parallel between service dogs and uniforms uh, or, or their clothing to submissives and protocols. When a servant is in a situation and is unsure which rules they are to follow, having a set of protocols available takes a lot of the worry away from the submissive. They're pretty sure they're not going to screw up if they follow the rules outlined in the protocol from earlier. And would you say that, well, I guess you can only speak mostly for yourself, but this is for, for Kimmy as well. Obviously, some protocols are, are a pain in the ass. You know, they're, they're uncomfortable or they're humiliating or they are what they are. Um, they're not fun, maybe. Is there still some sense of, of value, even in those circumstances, to the surety of knowing what's expected? Absolutely. Absolutely. Being able to, to be in a situation and, and know what the protocol or what you should be doing is much better than being in a situation where you're sort of kind of guessing and hoping you get it right. I agree completely. And I, I think one of the dichotomies that people usually wind up talking to me in particular about is this idea that, that training and protocol would necessarily have to put a barrier. Um, they'll say stuff like, you know, well, I, you know, I want to get to know her too much to train her. Um, and I think protocol is the answer to that in that, and the, the dog parallels are there. You know, some service dogs are are kept in the yard. You know, some service dogs are are not really necessarily very close in maybe a, a really, really, really strongly bonded way to their, their handler. Um, but not that's many. not true for all service dogs. You know, I mean, you're thinking about, I'm thinking about military because those are the guys I'm more familiar with, but... Military canine and, and, and civilian canine, these are dogs who are ridiculously disciplined, who when they're at work, you know, non-distracted, they're not going to play, they're, but the only way you get that level of performance out of them at work is, you know, all those guys live with that dog. Absolutely. You know, the rest of the time. That, that, that it absolutely is possible to be dead on, focused, and absolutely at work and then, you know, flip the switch. It, it takes work. It's the consistency problem is obviously the hardest one. Mm-hmm. You know, when it, when which is which, and you know, shifting arbitrarily back and forth for for no reason is a consistency problem in and of itself. Yes. Um, I know for me, one of the problems I I'm constantly fighting within myself is those things that because we're not talking about work most of the time. Those things I consider protocol, you know, that I think of as being more formal or more on and focused things are mm-hmm. things I enjoy. I'm, my personality is such that I find those things comforting. Mm-hmm. They are 
not an everyday protocol because they get in the way of intimacy or because they're too much effort for me to maintain all the time, to maintain consistency. My problem is not, it's not forgetting what protocol we're in, but if someone behaves in a way that they can behave in low protocol, that they couldn't behave in high protocol, sometimes it will catch me by surprise and the urge to punish that behavior is overwhelming. Hmm. But consistency has to follow the mode. Absolutely. If I'm encouraging you to, you know, poke fun um, or, or feel free to, you know, kind of kind of spritz water in my face from, from a water glass because I like that sort of casualness, I can't really react to it the way I would if you were in a high protocol formal situation and did the same thing. But it's tempting. <laughs> because nine times out of ten, I like being spritzed in the face, maybe. But the tenth time, it was just a bad decision. Right. Now, I'm completely within... Consistency doesn't require that I not induce a negative consequence for that because it was a bad decision. But you can't flip out about it to the level that you could if it happened in a f super high protocol situation. Absolutely. You know, one is a mistake and the other would be like radically deliberate defiance. Mm -hmm. And you have to keep that in mind. But especially when your protocols are things you enjoy or are drawn to or the things that people are forbidden in high protocol, they're forbidden in that protocol because those things inherently have a tendency to grate on your nerves every now and then. Right. <laughs> it's hard not to just, you know, just kind of keep in your own mind, right, you know, it was dumb, but it wasn't defiant. Yeah. You, you, you know. doms, you, you have it rough. <laughs> yeah, it's, i got to tell you, it's, you know, it's nothing but breaking rock all day. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But it's, I, I wanted to mention it, and obviously I think, I think there's a whole other, there's a whole other broadcast to, talk about protocols and the pros and cons thereof. But I definitely wanted to bring up that idea that I guess where I was going with it was, was to establish for those people listening that even if the protocol is uncomfortable or maybe nerve-wracking, don't underestimate how comforting knowing what's expected can be even if the thing that's expected is a little difficult. Absolutely. Um, and the flip side of that for, for the doms is be honest with yourself about what your protocols actually are. You know, if, if you're going to get mad every time, if it just gets on your nerves every time somebody does something, but you think instituting a rule about not doing that or making that part of a protocol seems silly, then you're just going to walk around all the time annoyed mm -hmm. at them for something they don't know they're not supposed to do because you're a little too embarrassed to go, look, I don't know what to tell you. I hate pink. <laughs> you know, you just, you know, you don't want to come off like an arbitrary asshole, but then you're just constantly annoyed, which is arbitrary and assholeish. So like, if you just can't get over it, then just make the fricking rule and get on with your life. You know? Absolutely. All right. So what's he, did we cover everything in your notes? Um, yeah, <laughs> actually. We didn't go over bad habits and how to break them, but I think that's an entirely separate 
podcast. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're coming up on 50 minutes as it is. So, Sorry. So this is, no, no, no. I don't think anybody minds. Um, and if they do, you know, I'll refund them the zero pen, pennies they paid for the broadcast. Um, but, you know, let's recap really quick. We, we talked about the idea that um, training a dog um, or a person can sometimes give you a way to keep them safe and happy that it can help them know what's expected of them in, in a given situation and that, you know, dogs and some people find that, that sort of thing comforting, um, that you absolutely can have different sets of rules and expectations for different circumstances, but you need some way to make it clear which circumstance you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, consistency is important, but once you've established you know, once you've got the credibility of, of that consistency behind you, in the, in a sense, you can start being a little bit more flexible, um, but you have to keep in mind how often you've been flexible and what that's doing to the training that's underneath. Mm-hmm. We kind of hit the high points there, you think? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So um, let's say goodbye. Kimmy, Hi. say goodbye. Goodbye. Pat, say goodbye. Goodbye. That's the end of this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the time you spent with us. Make sure you check us out on the web at powerinpractice.com for more discussion.